for your working in our hearts and lives, for your supply, for the things that you have done, for answering prayers, Lord, for uh, caring enough and being patient enough with us to wait for us to finally learn how to pray for the things that you would want, that you may answer us according to your will. Lord, we thank you that you're always good. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. For the front. Kids dismissed at this time. And the rest of us, let's take our Bibles and go to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. And we're going to start a new series just simply on how to tell others about Jesus, how to witness. And um, tonight I, I want us to, to deal with one part of witnessing that is probably the most difficult part of witnessing, but uh, we really need to get a hold of this or the rest of it just doesn't work. And so let's just start in uh, John chapter 4, and of course if you're familiar with your Bible at all, this is the story of the woman at the well, and uh, one of the great stories of the Bible, one of the things that Jesus put in here so we could see exactly how to talk to people uh, about their soul. And um, let's look at verse 4, and we'll just read down through here. It says, and he, talking about Jesus, and he must needs go through Samaria. Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, <coughs> excuse me, with that it, which is called Sychar, near to a parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away. Unto the city to buy me. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. The woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou that living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well, and drank thereof himself, and his children, and his cattle? Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water shall, that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water that I may thirst not, neither come hither to draw. Jesus saith unto her, Go call thy husband and come hither. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband, for thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou now hast is not thy husband. In that saidst thou truly. 
The woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship ye know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman saith unto him, I know that Messias cometh, who, which is called Christ. When he is come, he will tell us all things. Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. And upon this came his disciples and marveled that he talked with the woman. Yet no man said, What seekest thou? Or why talkest thou with her? The woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city and saith unto the men, Come see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? And so there is the story uh, told in very uh, uh, simple and, and open fashion. They were journeying. They went through Samaria. I, I love the wording of our King James Bible. It said that he must needs. Now, Jesus knew where he was going. He knew who he was going to talk to. He knew what was going on. He is God. He knew all these things, and he made sure... You know, uh, first thing about if you're going to talk to people about Jesus is you need to set out with a purpose. It's not by accident. Uh, You know, so much of what we think is soul winning. And and I've heard people talk about, you know, leading people to the Lord on elevators between floors and and, uh, things like this and and uh, i'm not going to i'm not here to argue that point uh but i just wonder if as we contemplate this subject over the next several weeks if god wouldn't lay a specific person on your heart to give the gospel to if there wouldn't be uh some uh direction and some goal in taking the gospel to someone who needs it. Uh, Jesus planned this, and he went, and he sat on the well, and he made opportunity. He let the disciples go into the town to buy meat, and he was sitting there. And this woman comes out to draw water. Now, those that study the culture and all of the... Things that were going on said the time to draw water was either early morning and most of the time you would go in the evening and bring the water for the evening meal and for the use at night. Uh, but normally at noontime you didn't go and draw water from the well. And so this woman comes up there. And, uh, of course, their suggestion is the reason she came at noon was because nobody else would be there. 
she could be unbothered by the gossip and the talk. And, of course, uh, her history, uh, as we see, would rival almost anyone of modern-day uh, ill fame in the uh, uh, marriage area. Uh, but she came and Jesus approached her. You know, waiting for people to come around and ask you about the gospel is not going to work. You, you've got to tell them. Now, that does not preclude living the kind of life that will give you credibility to share the gospel when opportunity arises. Um, I mean, I, I love to pass out tracts, and, and we go out on a regular basis, and we should. Uh, but be careful when you get to the hospital, when you're passing out tracts. Uh, you know, some of you will remember that uh, after 9-11, we had groups of people from all over the country come into the city, and, and it, it got pretty... Uh, I don't know what you would call it down there uh, around, uh, at that time, what they called the pit around ground zero. Uh, I would see, uh, remember one time in particular, we were down there for some reason, not to pass out tracks ourselves. And there was a small group of people from some church somewhere out in the Midwest, and they would wait until they found someone who was leaning over the rail, contemplating, and then go up and bother them with the track. And uh, I, I saw some responses that just weren't very nice. And uh, we, we need to have a little bit of sense about how we give up, give, give out tracts, how we take opportunity. Uh, the, Jesus made the contact here, and the woman was astounded because Jewish men did not talk to Samaritan people at all unless they had to, especially uh, Samaritan woman. And so she just asked the simple question. She said, uh, here, let's look at here in verse, um, in verse 7. And she, Jesus says to her, give me to drink. Verse 9, the woman says, how is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaritan for the Jews? have no dealings with the Samaritans. And we get to verse 10, and Jesus begins immediately to tell her the difference. He said, if you knew the gift of God, if you knew the truth about God and who it is that saith to thee, give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of me, and he would have given thee living water. He said, if you would know what the gift of God is. You know, most people have been taught, if they have any religion at all, and you'll remember when, before you got saved, you went to church, you did the best you can, you thought for sure that, well, if anybody goes to heaven, I'm going to heaven. Isn't that true? And people just simply don't understand Ye must be born again. Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Jesus said, listen, if you understood the gift of God, if you knew who you were talking to, you wouldn't be surprised that I'm talking to you. 
Because God so loved the world. See, that's one of the things you're going to see in this passage here. Is Jesus cared enough to talk to this woman. He had a purpose in talking to her. And he immediately dealt with her about the living water. And he um, explains to her that this living water is something that is permanently, it springs up from the inside. It's not something that you put into your body. It's something that comes from the inside. It's something that only God can put there. And she says, give me of this water. And then Jesus has to deal with the next issue. You see, if you're going to get saved, you've got to deal with sin. When, uh, when I was working with Brother Clayton... Uh, we did a lot of work with little children, and, and we're very careful in our children's church uh, to deal with children the right way, because you could go into a children's church every week and say, how many of you want to be saved? And every kid gets saved every week. Now, that's not faith. That's not helping those children at all, because salvation is a one-time decision of putting your faith in Jesus Christ. And we want our workers in the children's church to help them understand that you must put your faith in Jesus Christ, that He takes care of all your sin at one time, but you've got to deal with your sin, and of course with a little child. It's somewhat uh, more difficult to deal with sin because they're they're thinking, uh, well, I failed that test at school. Is that sin? Well, probably there was some sin attached to it, but you've got to uh, work and make sure you understand. And so uh, the woman, he he, Jesus being God, said, "Go call thy husband." He knew what the answer was going to be. And uh, she said, well, I don't have a husband. He says, yes, I know. You've had five of them, and now you're living with someone who's not your husband. Jesus dealt with the sin issue. You don't have to have God's knowledge to know all of the sin that someone else has done, because we now have the book of Romans that simply says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You know what? You don't have to tell me what your sins are, but I know that you got some. Uh, because everybody has some. And I've had a few adults over the years that look at me and say, no, that's not talking about me. I say, well, then you can't be saved. Really? Why? Well, Jesus only came to save sinners. And if you have no sin, if you've never done anything wrong, you cannot be saved. And you've got to... You've got to get this. We have a lot of people who want to have a sinless salvation. All you've got to do is, is, um, is acknowledge Jesus Christ with your mind, and that saves you. No, sin had to be dealt with. And it had to be brought out, and it had to be confessed to God. And so, the next point that he brings up... Is, is she says, 
you're, you're a prophet. Okay, this is about religion. Our fathers worship here in Samaria, and you worship in Jerusalem. And, and Jesus did not play any games here. Look what he says in verse 22. Ye worship, ye know not what. Now, that's not very flattering, is it? You know what? I'm going to just turn this thing off. It is making a lot of noise. Can you hear that? Okay. I, to, I think we got to check the water level there. But um, Jesus was speaking to her and... He, he just plainly told her, ye worship, ye know not what. Now, if you want to know the history of the Samaritans, read uh, the end of uh, Second Kings, Second Chronicles. Uh, the armies of Assyria had come and, and taken the twelve tribes, the ten northern tribes of Israel uh, captive, carried them into the lands of the Medes, uh, into what is modern-day Afghanistan, into Persia. And uh, had uh, relocated them there and brought other people groups to live in there. And uh, God began to judge the, children, the, the people that had moved in because they weren't abiding by any of God's laws. And so they brought a couple of prophets and put them in there. And so what it says was the people worshipped God, the God of Israel, the way the prophets told them to. And then they went home and worshipped their own gods. And these Samaritans were the mixed people, part Jew and part Gentile, not only in their heritage, but in their worship. And uh, it was amazing. I've got a picture in one of my encyclopedias somewhere of a uh, Samaritan priest holding the Samaritan Pentateuch. And he has these two great big scrolls that you can hardly hold. And he has got a veil over his face so he can't look on the law of God. And, of course, the Samaritan Pentateuch is not a faithful copy of the Bible at all. It's, it's, it's a poor uh, uh, copy. It's got lots of problems with it. But it was amazing to me that he put that veil over his face so he couldn't see it. It just describes perfectly the religion that the Samaritan people had. It was a do the best you can. We got a little bit of God and a little bit of what pleases me in it. And he just told her, he says, you don't, you don't even understand what you worship. Now, how many people have you met like that? How many former Catholics here tonight? Did you understand what you worshiped? Did it make any sense to you? I found that I know more about most, I know more about the Catholic faith than most Catholics do. You know why? Because I read some of their books. Uh, I, 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 you know, I, somebody once told me whatever this mass was, and so I, I have a book that was actually um, given to the priest to that was their sermons, and it's got a sermon on the mass, and it makes no bones about it. It is the re-crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Now, that's blasphemy, my friends. Christ died once to pay the price for all sins for all time. You see, he said you, don't, you have to deal with false religion. And you have to deal with the deity 
of Jesus Christ. She said, we've heard about this person called Messiah, called the Christ. When he comes, he'll tell us all things. And Jesus was going, didn't I just do that? Didn't I just tell you everything? You see, that's why she goes back to the town and she says, he told me all things that ever I did. This has got to be the Messiah. So, as we see Jesus dealing with this woman, number one, he tells her the difference between what she hopes to have happen and what Jesus can do. He deals with personal sin. He deals with false religion. And he deals with his deity and his person. And her response was, she says, he's got to be the Messiah. How do you get saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Does that sound like she believed on the Lord Jesus Christ? Sure does to me. It's not a complicated thing. But inherent with her message of he told me everything that ever I did, is the fact that he knows everything about me and he didn't reject me. What do we call that? We call that love, don't we? That's what God is. And God cares about souls. He cares about every soul. He even cared about the woman at the well. And of course... She goes back and she tells all the men in the town, and unfortunately it sounded like she knew most of them. Uh, it was a very bad situation. But she says, I met someone who told me everything that I did and he still talked to me. This has got to be the Messiah. And they came out and they talked to him and Jesus healed many of them and they said, now we believe... Because of what he said, not just because of what she said. And this is how it's supposed to work. Those that study these things tell us that 95% of people that attend church, that get saved, do so because a friend or a family member brought them to church. And yet, I would challenge our church here tonight that most of us are here tonight. The majority of the people are here tonight because they got a gospel track or they found out about our church over the Internet or uh, was looking for a church or happened to walk by and see the building and come in. Uh, We've got some work to do. And... We, we need to understand that there's, there's got to be some purpose. There's got to be some time made. There's got to be some contacts made if we're ever going to tell somebody about Jesus. But before we finish tonight, I want to contrast this. I, I want you to think, and I wanted to start with Jesus' treatment of the woman at the well. I mean, her character 
was what we would call nefarious. I mean, it was of the lowest sort. And yet Jesus talked to her. He spent time with her. He answered her questions. Now I want us to contrast this with the way Jesus treated the scribes and the Pharisees. You see, Jesus was rather antagonistic to the scribes and the Pharisees, wasn't he? How many remember John's first sermon to the scribes and the Pharisees, John the Baptist? Oh, ye generation of vipers! I mean, he had read Dale Carnegie's book, How to Win Friends and Influence People, for sure. I mean, I'm sure that he had contacted Joe Olstein there just to make sure that it had the positive tilt that it needed. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, he was mean. There, there wasn't any. Well, this is the love of God for all people. He just called them a bunch of snakes. And, and Jesus reiterated that. And... Um, uh, why don't you turn with me to Luke chapter 6, and, and we don't have time to go through all of this, but I mean, some of it is is just unbelievable. Uh, just look at verse 11 here. And they were filled with madness and communed one with another what they might do to Jesus. Now, here's what Jesus did. There was a man in a synagogue who had a withered hand and they were going to accuse Jesus of doing wrong if he healed on the Sabbath day. And Jesus said, stand in the middle. And so here's the man with the withered hand standing in the middle going, what's going on? And he can feel the heat from all the scribes and the Pharisees. And Jesus just literally, well, the I don't know how this would interpret, but I mean, he rakes him over to coals is what we would say. I mean, he, he just gives it to him. Is it lawful to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy it? I mean, he knew exactly what they were going to be doing as soon as he did this act. They were going to be on the Sabbath day having a conference on how they could destroy Jesus. Now, you talk about... Someone trying to serve God, that's who the Pharisees claim to be. Keeping the Sabbath, loving God, like we preached about this morning, keeping His commandments. And they are gathered around just a few seconds after Jesus heals this man. It says they're filled with madness. And they're trying to plot how they can destroy Him. And they can't even see their own evil. They're just totally blind to it. I mean, Jesus did a lot of healing on the Sabbath with one sole purpose in mind. To drive the scribes and the Pharisees mad. Now, why would he do this? You see, there's a difference between those who will receive the truth and those who won't. Now, that doesn't mean you and I have the right to go telling people off. I mean, there are some times you just feel like that would be very spiritual to do. And I want to warn you, the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. There may be occasions 
how many of you remember Christopher used to come here? And uh, Christopher had uh, fallen in with some Mormon missionaries and they were coming over and eating his food and cooking in his house and, and bothering him. And, 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 of course, Christopher, if you knew Christopher, he was just a little of what we would call simple-minded. And uh, we tried to do our best to help Christopher as much as we could. And when he, he said, Pastor, they won't leave me alone. And I said, okay, Christopher. I said, next time they come, you call me. I said, I'll get them to leave you alone. And so he called me. He said, Pastor, they're here. So I drove over there. And, and, and sure enough, I just got there and they're walking out. They had figured out that somebody was coming over. And I rolled down the window on the van. I said, hey, you. And they looked. said, come here. And um, I said, you need to leave this man alone. And one of them said, well, it's a free country. And uh, it was one of the only few times that I actually felt that the Lord wanted me to uh, give them a piece of my mind. I had some to spare. And, uh, and after it was all done, I'm sitting here going, Lord, was that in the flesh or was that in the spirit? Well, about three years later, I get a phone call from one of those two missionaries. He said, you know, I got cancer. I was in the hospital. And he said, well, I was laying there in bed. I thought about some of those things you said. And he said, and I'm just calling you to tell you I got saved. Sometimes it works. But I'll tell you what. In uh, 28 years of ministry, that's the only time I know that it was... So be very careful. But Jesus provoked the scribes and the Pharisees. And you're going to meet people that you, by just simply trying to give a gospel message, are going to provoke. Don't be afraid of that. Uh, Don't embrace it. I mean, there are some preachers who just capitalize on me. Uh, I don't want to be there, and I don't think God wants anybody else to be there. Jesus wasn't doing this to be mean. He was doing this to try to shake them. Read Matthew chapter 23. I mean, Jesus condemns the, the, the Pharisees, and then He condemns the scribes, and, and the lawyers say, hey, you offended us too. And Jesus said, well, good, here, let me give you some more. And I mean, He just, group by group, laid right into them. Why? Because they did not want the truth. In fact, they were obstructing people from getting the truth. Uh, There are times to address the world in which we live. It's interesting, Jesus would not answer their questions or respond to their statements. They said, we seek a sign. Jesus said, there's no sign given to this generation. Another time he said, the only sign that's going to be given is that of the prophet Jonas. And they understood that a whole lot better than the disciples did now, didn't they? Because when Jesus was crucified, they said, hey, we need a guard 
to the third day because he said he was going to rise again. You know what? When Jesus showed up to the apostles on the third, on Resurrection Sunday, did they believe he was resurrected from the dead? No, they said it's a spirit. They were climbing out the window and they were two floors up. I mean, that's not a very safe thing to do. But they were terrified. They didn't believe it. But those scribes and Pharisees understood exactly what he said. That's amazing to me. And yet they rejected him. At his trial. Well, let's get this other one here. This was the last week and they had already asked him the, the question about, the, uh, about whether to give tribute to Caesar or not. And he had answered, give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and God the things that are God's, implying that they weren't doing either, uh, which they weren't. But even when Jesus, uh, Jesus said, listen, they said, finally, they said, we'll ask him a question what authority do you do these things with? And Jesus said, okay, I'll answer your question if you answer mine. John's baptism, where did it come from? You see, they knew that if Jesus said, I giving God's authority, that most of the people believed that these scribes and Pharisees were God's authority. And so Jesus wasn't going to give them any ground at all. And, and there's a lesson there. Do not give people who do not hold the truth any ground at all. Just because the Pope is right about the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, doesn't mean he originated the doctrine. Uh, just because uh, a guy named Calvin came up with the fact that if you're truly saved, you cannot lose your salvation. He's not even all the way right about that. But he is right about the fact that you can't lose your salvation. But that's not an original with Calvin. He just happened to stumble upon something that was in the Scriptures. Let's get rid of the attachment to man and get attached to our Bible. Amen? And so... He asked them the question, you tell me where John's baptism was. And they, if we say it's of men, he said the people are going to stone us because they know John came from God. If we say of God, then Jesus is going to look at us and say, why didn't you believe John? So they, they were had. And Jesus refused to answer their question when he was put on trial. What did it say? Pilate marveled. Because he wouldn't say a thing. And so we see two completely different approaches here by the same person. And what I want us to, to get a hold of there, number one, if you're going to tell somebody about Christ, there must be at first, an acceptance of God. He that cometh to God must believe that He is and that He is the rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. Uh, uh, what was it? Last year we had the big debate between the evolutionist 
in the creationists. Anybody remember that? They, they advertised it and it was televised and all kinds of things. And several people, did you watch it? No. You know what the, the polling data said after that meeting? Those that went in believing in evolution came out believing in evolution. And those that went in believing in creation went out believing in creation. That's not how you get the gospel out. I'll tell you, there's a group of people here, and, and I'm not against uh, necessarily the Creation Research Institute, but they believe that if you can get people to accept creation, that they'll accept God as their Savior. That's not the gospel. Uh, if you accept God, creation is not a big deal to you. It's the other way around. We have a group of people that are that uh, I remember I wouldn't have believed it except I read it in print. It said uh, it was a, a, a right to life group in the state of Ohio. And I was there at that time and the pamphlet said so and so has been converted. She used to run an abortion clinic and now she's against abortion. Well, the word converted is a Bible word that means saved. And just because you give up on abortion and believe in life does not mean you're saved. But you know what? There is not one saved person that can honestly believe and promote abortion. It's the other way around. The problems with our society are not going to be solved because they accept God. Uh, uh, or saw, Let me make sure I say this right. We're not going to solve problems in our society by having people mentally understand good things about God. They've got to get saved. If they get saved, you know what? It's hard to say, Dear Heavenly Father, make me the best car thief in a story. You know what? You can't pray that way. You're going to have to get an honest business. Dear Lord, help me be a better bartender. Can you pray that? No. You see, you got to get saved first. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is. If you're dealing with a person and they don't believe that God is, that's all the farther you can go with giving them the gospel. You can't go any further. Now, of course, my, my favorite thing when someone says, if I can have an honest conversation, is someone says, well, I'm an atheist. I don't believe that there's a God. I said, how can you do that? That's, that's dishonest thinking. How can, I, uh, how can you claim that there is no God? Okay. Let me be honest, I'm an agnostic. I just don't think you can know God. Okay, well now, now we're being a little more honest here. And would you allow me to open the pages of this book and show you that there is a God? No. Okay, well, that's it. You see... You have to understand that there is a God. Otherwise, you'll never be responsible to Him. The Bible says that you're saved by grace through faith. How do you get faith? Say it with me. Faith cometh by 
and hearing by the... You know, I, I remember one time talking to a person and I had my little New Testament out and I got it out and they said, don't get that thing out. I said, can I at least quote you the Scriptures? Well, yeah, you can quote them. Okay, well, if I can give you Scriptures, I can talk to you. If you're not going to listen to what the Bible says... And this is the difference in the way Jesus treated the woman at the well and the scribes and the Pharisees. And, and this is fundamental to giving the gospel. You see, and, and we'll, we'll spend a whole lesson on this, I, I hope, by God's grace. There must be conviction of personal sin. And we're not just talking about tears streaming down the face. If you can't understand that your sin is an offense to a holy God, you can't be saved. There's no salvation. Does that mean you've got to be sorry for every sin that you've ever sinned? You know what? I am so glad the Bible puts that out very plainly. It says, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. What's that last phrase? And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. My forgiveness is not dependent upon my memory. It's dependent upon God's and His is perfect. He's not going, we're not going to get to heaven and He's going to roll through. Oh, wait a minute. We forgot page 4,375 in the life of, and your name's right there. He's taking care of every sin paid in full with the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen? You see, there's got to be a willingness to let God save you. But as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name. What's the number one rule for lifeguards? Don't help a struggling swimmer. Because they will grab a hold of you and both of you will drown. That happens every once in a while. You have to allow the, the struggling swimmer to tire themselves out so that you can save them and not endanger your life as a lifeguard. That may mean 15, 20 minutes of recitation on the beach, but both of you are going to live. I mean, that's just a rule from uh, standard operating procedure. Uh, because there's been more than one lifeguard that swam out there to the struggling swimmer and <laughs> death grip. You can't swim with your arms tied up. And I'll tell you what, if you were drowning, you couldn't let go until you're dead. Now, I know they do this in all the... How many of you have seen one of the old Western movies? He's hanging there on the side of the uh, cliff with a little root, and it's pulling out, and the rocks are falling, and they throw the rope down, and he lets go and grabs a hold of the rope with one hand. No living human being can do that. Only in the movies... And that's because you can't see his feet 
are solidly planted on whatever platform they have for him. And yet, is that not our job as soul winners? Is to take the word of life to those who are desperately hanging on to that which cannot save them. It takes a little patience sometimes. You know, that's why church is important. Sometimes it takes people a while to let go of what cannot save them so that Jesus can do the work of saving them. And you know what? That's hard. Because if you understand what salvation is and what it isn't, you want that person to get saved today, right now, without any exceptions. You don't want them to put it off. You don't want them to wait. And yet, if you don't, you really mess things up. Now, we have the story of Jesus here. Jesus with the woman at the well, patient, loving, kind, brutally honest, but not mean. And same Jesus with the scribes and the Pharisees. I mean, agitating them, doing things that he knew would just literally blow them up inside. Uh, Just refusing to answer their questions, refusing to deal with them on their turn on their terms at all, not giving them even one uh, uh, recognition that even what they were right about they were right about. That's how Jesus treated the scribes and the Pharisees. It was because they had already rejected the truth. You say, how do I know the difference? Well there's only one way. It's the Holy Spirit of God. You you can't know on your own. And so what do we do? We, with love, give the gospel. But when someone stops, I, I don't believe there's a God. I don't believe you can know there's a God. Excuse me, I'm, I'm sorry. We, I'd be happy to talk with you about how you can know there's a God. But until we settle this issue, we can't go with the gospel anymore. Until you're willing to believe this book. Until you're willing to understand about your personal sin. Until you're willing to let go and let God save you. You can't be saved. And so we have to be patient. How does patient, how do you get patience? We just finished the book of James. Tribulation. That's how you get patience. How many of you would say, Pastor, I'm with you. I need more patience. Well, that means more tribulation. Because that's the only way you get patience. And giving the gospel is what God's called us to do. Patiently. Honestly. But... We, we cannot make people get saved. They have to choose. Jesus is their Savior. 
But they can't choose until you give them enough information that they can make a a choice. I've actually pleaded with people. I said, you're making a choice and you don't even have enough knowledge of what's in the Bible to make an honest choice. Will you at least allow me the opportunity to tell you what's in this book called the Bible, to show it to you, to let you evaluate it on your own. If you reject Christ, that's your decision, but at least have enough information that you're making an honest and an informed decision. And of course, you always win because how in the world can anything be any better than what Jesus Christ has offered us through the Scriptures? Man hasn't yet to invent anything that even comes close. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And we ask that as we investigate this topic, and Lord, this is something we've got to be involved in. This is something that we've got to be doing. Lord, that you would give us discernment, maturity, that we'd be able to walk close enough to you to know how to behave, to how to give your word to the people we live amongst. Lord, we ask that even now you'd begin to set down and individuals upon our hearts that we could begin to pray for. That we must needs give the gospel just like Jesus did to the woman at the well. And Lord, that you would help us to be able to understand and discern people who will not receive the gospel and to be faithful to you as you would direct. Lord, help us. Lay upon our heart the burden of getting the gospel out. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And we'll take just a moment. If you need to slip out of your seat and talk to the Lord about that, the altar is open and then we'll get into our prayer time.